The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hi, folks. I'm WWE Hall of Famer Hacksaw Jim Duggan. If you'd like hearing knock-knock jokes or jokes about your grandmother, go somewhere else! Oh! oh my god, this is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip Podcast. This is Cody Rhodes, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. Good, how you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man, what's going on? We ready to go, or what? Okay. This is a uh, special visitor, the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. It was a very rough feud to go through with Rick. It was a very bitter feud, too. He certainly didn't like me at that time, and I didn't like him, and we were both trying to be at the top. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't beat me. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid up, they knew they could kick the out of me. At this point, well, I'll be at a signing, and little kids will come up to me and throw up the click sign or talk about, oh, your ladder match with Sean at WrestleMania 10. I go, wait a minute. You weren't even a glimmer in your dad's eye. But yeah, bro, it's really flattering and, and amazing and humbling. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two men power trip of
Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is the flagship episode, a part of the TMPT podcasting empire. I am your host, JP John Paz, and on today's podcast, we have the former five-time Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champion. He is an Impact Wrestling writer and producer. He is, of course, the zombie princess. Jimmy Jacobs joins the fray, and it is a great phenomenal episode what a great talk with jimmy and it's great to hear that you know he's he's in a good space in his life great place mentally he's moved out to the west and kind of really relaxing and um you know basking in his own self and his own self-worth it's really kind of cool to see him rebounding like he mentioned in the interview rehab from a few years ago really bettered himself i got to reevaluate his life and he really recommends rehab to uh, pretty much everybody and you'll hear the explanation of that and what he means by that it's really good stuff from him and i really um, enjoyed this interview a tremendous amount i thought he was just a a great interview and maybe not your traditional wrestling interview towards the beginning when we're kind of talking uh, more about life and kind of what he's up to and what he's thinking and just a whole different thought process and it's really kind of cool to hear that and to get into that but, of course, what you're here for and, and why you listen to the show is the wrestling stuff. So, of course, we do talk about Impact Wrestling and his you know, role right now as the writer, producer, part of the creative team. We kind of learn who else is on that creative team in Impact, what the writing process is, what is that creative process with the team, how does it go, how is it maintained, something I'm always very interested in, especially when you have not a booker and, and a booker's assistant, you have a writing team and a creative committee. I'm always interested to know how that goes down and who's doing what and who's in charge of what. And you'll learn that today on the show. So that's really good stuff. We'll, of course, talk about his time in the WWE as well, what he thinks about Vincent Kennedy McMahon, what he thinks about the writing staff, what he thinks about you know his successes and maybe his failures, maybe some regret. <clears throat> excuse me, maybe some of his regrets there. So we go into kind of uh, the whole gamut in the uh, world wrestling entertainment era of Jimmy Jacobs and what he was responsible for and what he felt good about as well because he wrote a lot of the Chris Jericho versus Kevin Owens feud. He was basically the one that created the list, uh, the list of Jericho, which got over huge and just became so enormously popular. It was just such a you know fun time uh, with wrestling and WWE at that point and something different and unique from them for sure also learn about his role in the festival of friendship another kind of fun uh, twist on things as far as that story and, and that process in the WWE we learn all about kind of what you know certain writers are responsible for what they're not responsible for what Vince McMahon can do in, in a blink of an eye and you know and in one second kind of ruin everything or you know uh, kind of stop the process so to speak so I mean, we go all into that we talk about why he was fired and that infamous picture with the Bullet Club we'll also talk about Ring of Honor and his run there the Ballad of Lacey BJ Whitmer Tyler Black aka Seth Rollins and kind of all the things in between. Don't want to go too crazy and talk too long because it is quite a great interview and kind of want to get you to that right away. But just want to also mention a part of the TMPT podcasting empire. We have Taking to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard on the TMPT feed. We have Rick Bassman's Talking Tough, which is available on Podcast One. We have the University of Dutch with Dutch Mantel, which is available on the MLW Radio Network. We have Taskmaster Talks with Kevin Sullivan, which is available 
on the Creative Control Network. We also have Just Incredibles Pro Wrestling 101, which is available on Vince Russo's YouTube channel. We also have Shane Douglas Triple Threat Podcast, which is available on Vince Russo's The Brand on the Realm Network. So without any further ado, I'm going to send it on over to some TMPT business. And then send it over to the interview with the former five-time Ring of Honor Tag Team Champion, Impact Wrestling writer, producer, extraordinaire, the zombie princess, Jimmy Jacobs. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Two Man Power Trip, and at Razzlin Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Mike, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk, Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, and Glenn Kane Jacobs, and so many more. While you're on the web, visit ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. Visit our store, visit JJ Dillon's store, Francine's store, and of course, the franchise Shane Douglas store. For all you Android users out there, find us on Google Play and Player FM. For all you iOS users, check us out on TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podomatic, and now Stitcher. And of course, check out the Empire. Yes, that is the TMPT Empire now. TMPTEmpire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling. on the line right now is a former five-time Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champion, an Impact Wrestling writer and producer. You may know him as the Zombie Princess. He is, of course, Jimmy Jacobs. Jimmy, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, what's up, dude? Happy to be here. Hey, man. I feel like you've got so much going on lately with Impact Wrestling and the podcast and all these other things, but uh, what's uh, kind of been going on in your world lately? Uh, what's going on in my world lately mm. is I, I moved to uh, moved to Phoenix back in March. Uh, I was in Chicago for a couple of years, moved to Phoenix, and uh, so moved to March right when all this uh, COVID stuff uh, went down. So I've been, like, in my house alone with my cat for, like, what, four and a half or five months now. Uh, and it's been great. It's been awesome. It's been a quite the transformative uh, time experience in my life. That's what's going on over here. Crazy time to be alive. Like you said, March is probably the worst time to have done that, right? Because then you can't do anything, can't go out, can't be, you know, be around anybody. It's it's a very weird time to be alive. Yeah, well, you know what? You, you can look at it that way, and uh, certainly that, that, that's fair to look at it that way. Uh, I, you know, I was here I was by myself. I don't really know anybody here in Phoenix, and I had the choice of whether to sort of cave in and collapse into myself and watch catfish reruns and play, um, uh, you know, slot machine games on my phone or 
try to better myself and be with myself and understand myself. And that's what I've uh, tried to do. And it's been really awesome. It's been great, actually. That's great. So what have you kind of been learning about yourself? I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good thing that to have happened. So just sit, sitting, you know, and be depressed or anything. That's great. Yeah, right. I mean, well, this, this whole, this whole life, this whole planet is a, is a learning experience. It's, it's, it's an experience uh, to grow and, and learn from. And I've started to, you know, break down a lot of the stories, a lot of the limitations in which uh, I've put myself in, which we all do. We all, we all have these stories we tell ourselves about who we are and what we are, and really all those are limiting beliefs. You know, one of the amazing things that I experienced over the past uh, few months is I had been on antidepressants for about 10 years on and off, and about four months ago uh, I was able to get off antidepressants partly by just changing the story of, of what, quote-unquote, depression was in my life, you know, as opposed to telling the story of I am depressed story that identifies as depression. I am depressed. I changed my story to sometimes I experience low energy. And in doing that, I was able to sort of go from, okay, I need antidepressants to, well, if I'm experiencing low energy, I just have to learn to access the energy, which is all around us. Cause we, we live in a universe that is just made up solely of energy. Uh, so things like that. And I feel better now than I ever have in my life. Uh, antidepressant free for, for the past forever, four months. Uh, so, so things like that. It's been a very transformative time over here. That is great, uh, and I love that. You know, you're you're changing the narrative, so to speak. You're just uh, changing it. You know, well, may may just have low energy. So, I love that thought process. Definitely uh, something different. Is that the the move to Phoenix change in the, the mindset? Well, you know, I've been on this this journey, this sort of uh, if you want to call it like a spiritual journey or a journey of self discovery, self growth. Uh, for about three, a little over three years now, when I went to, to rehab uh, for drug and alcohol addiction back in April of 2017. So coming out of there, I was sort of, it really just started trying to figure out how to live without taking drugs every day. And that, that journey started to become very quickly um, you know, I started to, ah, these questions started coming up as you start to reevaluate your life. And, you know, I, I recommend rehab to everybody. I mean, I'm saying everybody, drug addiction or not, should be able to go and get away for 30 days uh, to, to get out of their story, to get out of their life where nobody can sort of, uh, uh, you know, call you or bother you or whatever. You're just 30 days outside of where you, where you spend your life otherwise to just focus on you. And once you're sort of pulled out of the story that you're living in, you can start to gain a perspective on it, sort of look at it a little bit from the outside in because we're all so consumed. We're all, we all live in these bubbles, and we start to think our perspective is reality, and it's just not. It's just a perspective. It's just a story. Just like the story of I am depressed is just a story. And, and a equally valid story is sometimes I experience low energy. And they can use the same set of facts, but they're just a different perspective of looking at things. And through a different perspective, we can start to grow through these things. So uh, it's been about you know, a little over three years that I started to deconstruct. And uh, really, a lot of it is just unlearning. It's just unlearning uh, kind of I've unlearned so much and it's been so transformative and, and wonderful to uh, break free from the, the story I was living in 
and starting to realize that I'm the author to the story and I can perceive things however I want and, and create the, the life exactly how I want it to. You know, it's funny, the podcast is Jimmy Jacobs doesn't know, but it seems like you do know. It seems like you're, you're very, uh, very astute and, you know, very well ahead of the game. Uh, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I'm just a, uh, I'm a student here at uh, Earth University just trying to <laughs> learn like everybody else, man. So uh, th- this, this is what I've figured out in, in, my, uh, in my time here, whether that's right or not. It's, it's certainly a perspective. And it's, it's a, how about this? It's a more helpful perspective than my old perspective. And, and I think that's something that's key to people that, you know, if they want change in their life, if they're experiencing some sort of suffering, is that they're allowed to see things from a different point, point of view that is more helpful to them. You know, I see a lot of anger nowadays. There's a lot of divisiveness nowadays, you know, politically and on the streets, all sorts of things. And, um, you know, people want to be, you know, justified in their anger. I, on, on whatever side you're on, this is, this is how it seems to work. People want to, uh, you know, when you talk about, like, let's say Republicans, Democrats, left and right, uh, people want to lambast the other side, just say, oh, look at them, they're so dumb, and look, oh, and, and there's so much anger, and you go, and they go, oh, yes, well, this anger is justified, of course. You go, okay, maybe, but is it helpful? Is there a better way to look at things? Is there a way to look at things that doesn't divide? If your problem with, you know, our president is that he's divisive, you know, is, is further division going to solve that? Or is unity going to solve that? And so, and so it doesn't matter really if you're, oh, I'm justified for doing this. It's like, that's not really what it's about. It's about, is it helpful to do this? And so we, you can sort of extrapolate that and look, look at that in any sort of circumstance in your life. And you go, okay, sure, I, I can be angry about this, but is this anger, is it helping me? Is, is, my, is my suffering suiting me? Is, is this the thing that's moving me forward? Or is this the thing that's actually keeping me here and actually making things worse? And, um, and yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing to be able to step outside of the, your perspective and then uh, realize there's a more helpful one out there. Yeah. Wow. Very well said. Um, you definitely seem to be, uh, you know, definitely in, in the right mind space, you know, so to speak, you're, you're definitely um, hitting on a few things. You know, the divisiveness right now in the world is just absolutely insane. It doesn't help that everyone is trying to be even more divisive. You know what I mean? Like two wrongs will make a right. And that seems like people's mindset now that two wrongs do make a right. So it's definitely heading in that crazy direction. Correct. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's how it is. You know, there was this thing uh, maybe a, a year, a couple of years ago where it was like, you know, punch a Nazi. And it's like, no, it's like, no, don't, like, don't you realize? No, like don't punch a Nazi, love a person, even though they believe something that is maybe completely different than yours and you think is really, you know, uh, really awful. But honestly, what you believe doesn't matter. It's how you act that matters. And so you can believe whatever you want to believe, but either division is the answer or unity is the answer. Either hate is the answer or love is the answer. And it's not both, man. I mean, there's probably some balance in there of something. But, uh, but I mean, that's, that's the thing is we, we think that we're justified uh, so often just because something is, is awful on the other end. It's like, no, that, that doesn't, that doesn't, that's not the answer. And, and it, and isn't it obvious now that that's not the answer? 
and I, I see on social media, I see, you know, when the Democratic uh, National Convention was on, the Republican National Convention was on, I saw all these people taking shots at the, at the speakers, and it's like, don't you realize what's going on? That's a TV show, and that's a distraction. That's a distraction right there. It's like, oh, no, we need to be informed. No, that's a distraction. You need to get your life in order. That's what you need to do. And look, I mean, look, this is just my perspective, and my perspective really doesn't really matter more than anybody else's perspective, but I'll share it. It's like you need to get your life in order. If you have, like I said, if you have a problem with the president because he's, he's divisive, that's fine. Then be an example of unity. That's what you need to do if you don't like divisiveness. You don't fight against divisiveness with divisiveness. You embody the quality that you want the world to be. Uh, uh, who, who was it that said, be the change you want to see? Was that Nelson Mandela? Or, um, I believe so. Wasn't it Nelson yeah. Mandela? Um, yeah, yeah, I believe it was. Yeah. And it's like that's, that's the answer. The answer is not, you know, yelling about things and – and, and, and fighting about things. Not that you don't need to fight in life sometimes. Not that life doesn't need to be confronted sometimes. Um, but it's, it's naive to think that, that shouting and yelling and making fun of other people it could, possibly, could possibly bring the world that we want to bring into existence. You know? So it's like, and I, I, I try not to talk about that sort of stuff you know, on, on social media, um, what I try to bring to social media is just, uh, you know, I, I make videos to to sort of share my experiences and hopefully some of those experiences can resonate with people to help them um, with their own lives and help them learn to um, learn to sort of take control of their lives. And so many times I think people feel helpless and I want to empower people. I want people to realize that they are divine beings, they're special beings, they are powerful beings. And we give our power away so often when we get distracted by their things or there's this divisiveness or disconnection. It's like you are a powerful being once, and once you realize that, there's no stopping you. And you are such a, a different kind of thinker than maybe people realize. You know, sometimes you'd be like, oh, this guy's a pro wrestler. You know, you know how much does he know or how much or, you know, thought process does he, does he have? Do you ever run into that people having like that false narrative about wrestlers? Like, you know, maybe they're not as quote unquote smart as, as some other people because uh, I feel like that's a big false narrative with a lot of professional wrestling. Uh, I mean, cer- certainly that's possible. The truth is um, for everybody that knows me, um, on any level, you know, if, if a million people know who I am, there's a million different versions of me out there because everybody has a different perspective. So there, there, there is, you know, whatever somebody's perspective is on, on pro wrestling or pro wrestlers or me, it's like, that's fine. It's just, it's just their, it's just their pr- perspective. Uh, and I'm, I'm fortunate that, you know, normally the people that I do talk to or interact with for the most part uh, are, are mostly gracious. I try to be mostly gracious. I try to not be um, too controversial or confrontational because I just, I don't see the need for it um, nowadays. It's like there's, there's so much divisiveness uh, already out there. So it's just, um, I, I, I think I'm pretty fortunate in, in, in my dealings uh, with people for the most part, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's almost funny. It would be funny if it weren't sad, but it, it's funny sometimes how um, people can experience, you know, being offended by, by something that isn't attacking them. 
you know, and, and you, you, you do see that sometimes. And, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yep. So as far as, you know, wrestling, as we change gears just a little bit, what is your current role in Impact Wrestling, writing and producing? Yep, correct. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of the, you know, there's a, a, a creative team. There's, there's, a, there's five of us, and we, uh, we write the shows, and I'm one of the, the guys that does that. I'm one of the sort of main dudes that puts the show together and uh, produces it. And, yeah, it's been a good time. I've been uh, with Impact for almost, she's almost three years now. So how does that kind of process work? Is, is it, you know, obviously so there's five of you guys, but is it everyone throwing deals, you know, ideas into a hat? Like, how does that whole process work? It always kind of was intriguing to me, you know, how everything gets together. Because so many people think like, oh, it's wrestling, it's easy, you know, you just throw the guys out there. But, I mean, it's a huge process, right? It, it is a big process. Yeah, I mean, this, is, this isn't, you know, 30 years ago, it was kind of like you could just put some job matches on TV, the um, there's a lot more complexity to wrestling television than there used to be. And of course, in the last sort of 25 years or so that, that really started to happen. Um, but yeah, it, there, there's complexity to it. I think, you know, um, you know, you got 50 different wrestlers and, you know, more or less 50 different characters and, you know, at impact you have two hours a week. And we try to tell stories with, with all the wrestlers. I mean, I think in any, in any wrestling creative environment I've been in, it sort of starts figuring out where you're going. So if like you're building towards, you know, let's say WrestleMania or something, uh, you sort of have an end point and goal. Uh, uh, and then you, uh, you sort of take the characters and, and you, you know where you're going. And then you, you try to put this huge, huge puzzle together with, 50 different characters with, uh, you know, let's say eight weeks of TV to get to where you're going with nine uh, segments per episode. That means eight commercial breaks, but nine segments, which is X amount of time, which is, you know, X amount of backstages and X amount of uh, in ring in, in arena segments and trying to make sure your top stars are, you know, probably the most, uh, featured while still building uh, undercard talent and, or you know middle card talent and, and still featuring the undercard talent, uh, things like that. Yeah, it's, it's a big process, man. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times people don't realize, like, wow, like, you know, wrestling, they have this writing team and, you know, they, they have to get together and, you know, they get – I mean, it it's just seems like uh, it is a much bigger process than a lot of people may give credit for. Are you kind of – you know, giving more ideas than others, it, or is, is it like an uh, even playing field where everybody's kind of giving the same amount of ideas? Like, how, how does that work with, with like, a, a committee or a team like that? I mean, ev- everybody, I think, has their own strengths. And it was the same way in, in, in WWE. There, there were uh, different writers that, ha- that had their own strengths. And, you know, one of the things that I'm good at is I can see the entire picture. I can, you know, like, let's say this – uh, these past impact tapings say we did, we did do eight weeks of TV and I'm good at seeing like the, the whole thing and where all the pieces are put into play. It's actually a little bit of, of logistics, honestly. It's just like, just seeing how, how one, if you move one piece, how it affects all the other pieces and all sorts of things like that. I'm, I'm good at other things too. Uh, but that's one of my, I, I think probably main um, strengths with, with, with this team uh, is is I can see how it all gets put together. I can, I can, I can take a bunch of pieces and I can go, all right. And I can make a picture out of it. 
Uh, you know, there's other guys, you know, like Robert Evans is uh, a writer that's, that's on the team. He's a guy that, you know, was a writer in WWE who famously quit in Gorilla uh, during, the, uh, during the Hall of Fame a couple years ago. And he, you know, wrestled for Ring of Honor as well and on the Independence. And he's a guy that he's super creative and uh, he's good at some of the entertainment stuff. You know, he was the one that really took the lead on the Russell House stuff we did recently. And, and of course, so, so everybody's got their, you know, without getting into everybody in, on the team, uh, everybody's sort of got their own things that they might be particularly good at. Um, and then we sort of give ideas and, and put it together and start to craft it and things start to take shape and, you go from having a completely, you know, white board to having a board that's just full of uh, full of wrestling. Now, is I mean, it's you, Robert Evans. Is it Cat, Don Callis, and Demore also a part of the team? Yep, yep, and Tommy Dreamer. It's a pretty, uh, you know, pretty um, good group as far as experience. I mean, it's uh, a lot of years of experience uh, as far as wrestling. I mean, you you've been around for twenty years. A Dreamer's been around for like forty. You know, you know, Callis and obviously Demore as well. It's, it's a very experienced team. It is, yeah. And like like I said, everybody has their own strengths, uh, and it, it's really good to have guys with different strengths and different perspectives. Uh, but the truth is, too, you know, when I worked in in WWE. Uh, you know, there, there. I think there's this perception, or, or there, maybe there is this perception that the the writers there sort of like don't know anything about wrestling. But I was in the writers' room for about an hour before I realized, oh, all these guys, um, all these guys know 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 all about wrestling. And and so the like one of the the advantages that our, our team does have is experience. But not having, I guess all this to say, not having experience in the ring uh, doesn't preclude you from having good ideas or understanding uh, wrestling, which is a lesson that I, I learned in, in WWE. Yeah, that is interesting. So you're saying like if, let's just say, you know, uh, writer A from WWE, never been in the ring, no experience, he could still be a good writer with, without having that, that oh, experience yeah. of being in the ring like you had? Oh yeah, man. I mean, some of the the smartest guys I've ever met in wrestling were the, were the writers. I mean, there's guys that uh, that are there, like you know Ryan Ward or Ed Kosky, that are just um, you know brilliant guys, like absolutely just brilliant, you know, wrestling bookers, wrestling writers, um, creative. You know, Brian Gewertz, who you know works with The Rock uh, now on, in his. Um, production company, what is it, $7 Entertainment or something like that. Seven bucks, uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, that's good enough, yeah. Uh, you know, Brian Gewertz was there when I first got there, too, kind of as a consultant, and he was brilliant. Man, he was, he was super creative and, you know, just really knows how to, you know, put a, put a wrestling show together, and that's a, that's a particular skill. Like, being a pro wrestler is kind of one skill. Uh, being able to write wrestling television is actually a, a, a totally different skill. Like wrestlers might like most of the time when a wrestler is creative, they're sort of creative for themselves, and they're and they're creative in a um, in, in a bubble, right? They're creative for oh, I see my story, and maybe I see it with one other person, but I don't see the whole. And as a when you put the TV show together, you have to see the whole because it's like a Rubik's cube. You move one piece, and the whole thing shifts. Uh, so. Yeah, man. There's a lot of uh, very, very creative people uh, that I got the experience to uh, to work with, both in, you know in WWE and in uh, and in Impact Wrestling. You know, there's uh, the creative team has changed since I, I first got there, and uh, 
it's been great. That's interesting because Kevin Sullivan says the same thing you said about these guys, they're creative, but they're not because they're just thinking about themselves and their angle. The most creative guys to him were like, it was like a guy like Scott Hall would say, you know, Sting should be the crow sting. Um, you know, this guy Goldberg should be, you know, get, you, know like, you know what I mean? He's thinking of other guys but himself. So it's interesting uh, on the same level there because he said the same thing about the real creative guys can see, like you, can see the whole picture and are more so looking for everybody, not just one person or themselves. Yeah, I mean, well, that's, you know, Kevin Sullivan obviously has a ton of experience, you know, being a, being a booker and well-renowned at that and you start to see things from a completely different perspective you know i thought i knew what i was doing uh when i first came into WWE. i thought i was going to come in there and kind of like all right here we go and 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 really you know show what i got and i realized that a ton to learn uh and i learned from some very very smart people and and you know and, it, and it's fine and it's fine that the wrestler's job is to sort of worry about themselves and that's and it's great too you know especially i love collaborating with with the wrestlers, you know, as right now it impacts, you know, I said you've got like let's say fifty guys or something like that, or men and women, I should say, fifty characters on our television. Uh, I I can't necessarily put all the time and care into every character into every story that I would like, and so it's always beneficial when talent has an idea of what they want or who they are or can take the sort of frame that I give them and bring it to life. I mean, that, that's the, that's the great, um, you know, collaborative uh, process really in wrestling is to sort of, Hey, if I, if I give you this, can you make something that's good, take something that's good and make it great, take something that's great and make it, you know, legendary, take something that's maybe not so good and make it good. Uh, and that's, that's sort of the job. I mean, I always felt that was my job as a talent uh, certainly take whatever I'm given and make the best of it. And that's what the best talents do. So how did you actually get into WB as far as a part of the writing team? Is that something like you apply for somebody vouches for you? How do you get in there? Yeah. I mean, how, how does one get in there? Or how, how do no, I you, no, 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 you. Me personally. Uh, yeah. So uh, I sort of had this uh, epiphany moment where I realized that um, I was supposed to go and be a writer be on the creative team at WWE. It was sort of this aha moment. And, uh, you know, I, I made some calls. I called in some favors uh, after 15 years of goodwill in the, in the wrestling business. And uh, I went to uh, some WWE shows as an extra. And uh, Brian Danielson and Joey Mercury uh, brought me to the manager of the writing team. And they said, hey, this is, uh, this is Jimmy Jacobs. He's a genius, and uh, he belongs in your team. And after that, I mean, they did, you know, an, a, a very gracious and amazing job of introing me. But after that, it was a process just like, uh, just like anybody else applying for the job, which is to say I gave them a resume. I uh, had a phone interview. They uh, gave me a sort of an assignment to, to you know, write some, some stuff. And, uh, and yeah, and they, they hired me. Now, when you're there, I mean, we're, we're talking about collaboration and, and working with the wrestlers and stuff. What's the impact of Vince McMahon? Because you always hear these stories that he'll come in last minute, he'll kill the story, he'll change it, he'll kill the morale because, you know, the writer will be upset that his story got killed. The wrestler was preparing, you know, for with the writer for the last week. Um, what story? So what's the, you know, the story on Vince and, and what he is 
as far as maybe a negative impact, I guess you could say, on, on the writing staff? Yeah, well, I, I think you just hit the nail on the head with all that probably. <laughs> uh, I mean, it is something like that. Uh, you know, Look, it's, it's Vince's show, and he's allowed to do that. I want to preface what I say with that because there's no, like, there's no real judgment. It's like, you know, if you want to do, have a different process, then you go start a wrestling company and you can have whatever process you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, Vince, on Vince's show, he's the boss, and he should be the boss probably. Uh, some, how about this? Somebody's got to be the boss. Somebody at the end of the day has to make the decision because even if you and I are writing a wrestling show right now, you and I aren't going to agree on it. So somebody, the buck has to stop, stop somewhere, and, and that's with Vince. Now, uh, yeah, Vince, you know, of, of course, a, a, sh- a show will be written, you know, going into Monday night or, you know, going into Monday Raw, and the day of the show, it, it always changes. It always changes on, on some level, um, sometimes more than others, and I don't think it's – I think anybody's work here, it's not an efficient process. Uh, it's probably not the best process, but it's, it's Vince's process, and he, he gets to do that. So, yeah, you, you learn to – not get married to the things you you have, the ideas you have, even if they're in the script, because um, we'll change that day likely. And you realize, you know, my mantra there was, it's not my show. You know, if it was my show, this is how we do it. But guess what? It's not my show, so I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it the way Vince wants it. But I'm gonna do it to the very best of my ability, given the box on, uh, that that I can play in here. I'm going to try to make it the best possible show, the best possible segment it can be. And sometimes I'll try to, you know, get outside that box. And if, you know, if you get away with it, great. Uh, a lot, you know, and, and sometimes we did, you know, sometimes we, we played outside Vince's box a little bit and sometimes he'd reel us in, sometimes he wouldn't. Uh, but again, that's, that's his show. So is he, I mean, I, I guess he doesn't have to be diplomatic, but when he's kind of, backstage given orders and stuff like that i mean is he ruling with uh, like intimidation is is he diplomatic about it like hey you know let's change this or is like this sucks pal you know we're changing this like how does he kind of go about his day-to-day of changing the scripts i, I don't i don't think anybody would accuse vince of being very diplomatic no <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah from from my perception and maybe this is just my my personal experience um, but I, I would say Vince rules with, with fear. I would say that's a, that's a mostly fair assessment. Uh, you know, when I first came to the company, I wasn't scared of Vince. I was like, why? Like, I saw people scared of Vince. I was like, why, why is everybody scared of Vince? And after being there about two months or something, I was like, oh, I get it. I get <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, I, I learned quickly you are always one weird interaction with Vince away from either getting fired or being in the doghouse. And if you care about your, your job, you start to, you start to toe the line. Right. Uh, I don't know if you remember uh, Titus O'Neil. Do you remember this? Like they did something where like everybody was out on the stage for, I forget what it was for. And Titus like like, grabbed Vince's arm or something. Yes. Do you remember this? Yes. And like Titus got like suspended off of, of, of WrestleMania for that. And it's instances like that. And he likes Titus. He loves Titus. Uh, but it's instances like that that you go, you, you're just, you're 
always one weird interaction with events away from him going, God, God, this guy doesn't know anything. Or, oh, can you, can you believe, that, you know, he, yeah, he wore a pink tie tonight. Gee, we got to, you know, wh- whatever. And that, you know, that, that's how it is. Um, he's, a, he's a fickle, uh, odd, uh, you know, eccentric billionaire. And that's, that's his sandbox, and he's letting you play in it. And you learn that. And, you know, I think I, I liked working for WWE. I didn't like working for Vince. And I think there's probably, I don't want to speak for other people there. I think there's other people that would echo that sentiment. I believe it was Daniel Bryan's retirement. And I guess Titus went to shake his hand and pulled him in for the handshake. Or he was kind of, I guess, almost jokey with him. And Vince had his <laughs> very, very weird reaction. You're right. I guess he got suspended uh, yep. from it. It was crazy. Yep, and, and, and that was an incident in front of people. Now, you can then go, okay, there's a bunch of people interacting with Vince every single day, and so things like that happen, you know, every so often. It's like Vince would just the, – the, the, first, the first time I saw it was – I was probably there maybe a month and a half, and uh, one of my friends on the writing team was supposed to go into Vince's office. Vince said, oh, yeah, change this, and then bring it back to me. And – uh, and my friend goes, he changed it, and he goes into Vince's office without knocking uh, because this guy's worked in TV for years, and he's like, when you're supposed to bring your, the script to somebody, you just go and do it apparently or something, you know? He's like, I've never dealt with a, a, a boss like that where, you know, when we're, when we're doing something live that, you know, whatever, it needs to be so formal, but he goes into Vince's office to, to show him this, this change, and Vince's like, what? You don't knock? And uh, Vince wanted him fired. And... Uh, the the manager of our team was able to sort of save him from being fired, uh, but he was in the doghouse. Now he's a lead, lead writer there. He's super talented. He's super, super talented. Uh, the best writer that was there, like, you know, like when I say writer, I mean, um, you know, pen to paper writer uh, that was there and very creative guy otherwise too. And Vince wanted to fire him over not knocking on his door. So, what you learn there is that you're not judged by the content of your work, but you're judged by all these other weird things. Like all I ever wanted to do was just to be judged by the content of my work and not how eccentric Vince thinks I am. And that was my constant uh, um, time there was, was not being able to feeling like I wasn't able to express myself uh, because Vince, doesn't get me and you know he's like the nakamura of the, the writing team you know it's like because he's just i'm a, like he thinks i'm this weirdo right and uh and that was a lot of my my time there was trying to speak vince's language which is a big part of the job interesting so he kind of thought well first of all him wanting to fire that guy is just absolutely utterly uh insane and ridiculous but um he didn't like the way you dressed or something. So then he couldn't quote unquote relate to you. That's kind of a, I don't know. Yeah. So off. Yeah, ab- absolutely, man. I mean, I remember, uh, you know, having an idea or expressing something uh, during a production meeting one time and he just like looked at me and he's like just staring at me. He doesn't say anything to my idea. And then he just like whispers something to uh to one of my bosses who was right next to him. And I'm like, what the hell was that? Get a, a response? They just get, I mean, of course. Uh, and I was worried he was going to fire me. 
but uh, and I didn't know why. I didn't know what for. And then my boss came up to me. He's like, uh, "Yeah, Vince. Vince thinks you dressed a little gimmicky." I was wearing a black suit, a black collared shirt with a pink tie, and it was Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And so I go, "All right, so I should what take off?" He's like, "Yeah, take off the pink tie. Oh, great. All right, no problem." And it was things like that. Uh, and that's how Vince saw me, I think, was as just this guy. I think he saw me as a guy that was trying to get myself over. I think that's in, in Vince's eyes. But it's just like, yo, this is, this is what, what I am, for whatever that means. This is, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who, who yes, I, I, I have a purse. Yeah, man, who cares, right? Uh, but, God, what is that, you know? Seems like he's, uh, you know, stuck in the 50s or something. You know what I mean? He kind of... I don't know. It seems like just like he doesn't get it. I guess very strange well, he, individual. He, 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 yeah. Well, he, of course he's he's a bit strange. I think you have to be a bit strange to you know be the sort of risk taker visionary that becomes a, a billionaire off of professional wrestling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, he's a billionaire. There's like two thousand of those in the world, uh, so he's in a very uh, elite group of people who has a lot of money. And when you have a lot of money, you don't live in the same world that you and me live in. I mean, he, he, he would think he's like this, you know, the common man in, in a certain manner of speaking because of, of his roots. But I, you know, yeah, certainly he was, he was disconnected and how couldn't he be? So when you're there, what's kind of like your shining achievement or your like claim to fame when you're writing there and you're, you know, you finally get your confidence, you get everything going. What's like the, the big thing that you wrote there that you're really proud of? Yeah. So, I mean, certainly uh, the stuff with Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens was the highlight of my time there. Um, you know, coming up with the, you know, the list of Jericho and then, you know, whatever my role was with the, the festival of friendship, you know, things like that. Uh, the, the, the two of them together, it was so much fun. And once, once we got, I mean, geez, man, when, when the list of Jericho started getting, uh, getting over, it was just, it was a blast, man. It was a blast writing that stuff with Chris and Kevin and just the dynamic between the two. And it was cool. It was a lot of fun when it was, I don't say it was under Vince's radar, but before it became like sort of the, you know, cause for a while it was kind of like the top act. Uh, so to speak, maybe the top heel act, right? Mm-hmm. So in the sort of the fall, before before they started working with, with Roman, they started working with Roman in like, like December. But before that, we kind of got to do our own thing. And once once they were working with Roman, Vince got his claws in it a little more than, than before. But yeah, that was a blast. That seemed to be something where it was a little bit different for them, not the norm, um, you know what I mean? Sometimes it, it feels like they fall into the WWE bubble where it's like generic stuff and they kind of rehash the same stuff. That seemed different, creative. Uh, Jericho, obviously, is hilarious. Owens did a great job. But, I mean, so you're coming up with, you know, the list and stuff like that. Like, how does that kind of come about? Because that was just one of the, you know, most creative things I've seen in wrestling in, in a long time. That was so funny. The the list came up because uh, we're going to do a segment we're in, like, Memphis where Chris is going to come out and like air his grievances about something. Uh, I, I forget exactly what, maybe it was about like Mick Foley, like, you know, who's commissioner at the time and he's going to air his grievances. And I said, well, if he's going to air his grievances, he should have this list 
of grievances. And then I thought to uh, uh, Steve Carino uh, has a list. He would call it like the, the Carino shit list. And, uh, you know, in, in, in real life with, pe- with people that, that upset him. And then I thought about that. <laughs> I was like, man, what if Chris has his own list? But, like, because he's super petty, like, everybody makes the list. And I was like, man, you could do so much with this, you know, with, uh, with, with social media. With, you know, he can be at the – I remember pitching this to him. I was like, yeah, you could be at the airport, and you, you take a picture of somebody who said, you know, this, this guy cut in front of me in, in, in line. Uh, you know, you're on the list. We didn't have the, the – you know, he, he came up with, you just made the list. That was Chris. But um, – yeah, and so so what, once I started realizing, oh, that, that there's a lot you could do with this, and Chris got the vision, and Chris got the the, the look of the the actual list of it being this big. I I I pictured it being like a crumpled up piece of paper. He would he would leave in his, his tights, and he'd like pull it out or whatever. But he had the idea of it being a clipboard, so it was more visual. And you know, he came up with the, all this stuff with him clicking the pen before he says, you know what happens, huh? You know what happens when you make fun of my best friend Kevin Owens, huh? You know what happens. And man, the people would just go nuts. It was just such a fun time. Hey, it's so great. I mean, he's great. Obviously, I mean, you gave him some great material to work with. And, you know, he kind of does his own thing, too. But that was just so great and so creative and definitely just a great, funny moment in, in WWE. Did you think that they were going to main event WrestleMania? Because Jericho says, like, with the way it's progressing, what Vince promised them, was it ever really on the table? Or is that just, you know, normal, like, oh, yeah, yeah, pal, you know, maybe you'll main event WrestleMania. I mean, look, they were – it was certainly an option. Uh, I'm not saying it, was, it would have been Vince's option exactly, um, but certainly at the time – uh, there was a point where, like, Chris and the list was – I mean, it got the most reactions in the arena. That's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. And you were sort of on this path with Kevin and and Chris. It's like, man, you, you definitely could have gone there. With Kevin being the universal champion and, uh, you know, turning on Chris and whatever that was, like, February. I mean, you're right in that WrestleMania um, – you know, right in that that ballpark, and it's you know it's one of the most over things on the show and all this sort of stuff. Uh, but as it tends to, uh, you know, they wanted to give the the world title that that story that prop to to um, you know to Goldberg to do the stuff with with Brock Lesnar, right? So it's like yeah, you know, what it's kind of whatever whatever Brock wants, he gets. So that would uh, that would be that. So eventually, you know, you would be fired from WB for that infamous picture with the Bullet Club. Dan, what was like your thought process? What, what's their process in being, you know, so mad at you? Is that something that just happened? You know what I mean? It just was a, maybe a mistake or whatever just happened? Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, I, I, my buddy texted me and said, hey, the Young Bucks are at the arena. I went out there to see them. I was like, hell yeah, the Young Bucks. Um, caught up with him for a second and then right before I left, Hey guys, let's take a picture together. We, uh, we took a picture. I was going to keep it to myself. And then I was in gorilla a little bit later in the evening and I just went, you know what? Screw it. And I put the picture on, uh, on my Instagram. Uh, 10 minutes later I was in the writer's room and 
getting sort of scolded by by a, a few people about it. And yeah, there there were some people that were that were not happy uh, about it. You know, Hunter was not happy. I talked to him, and he was cool. Hunter was, you know. Hunter could be a kind of a jerk sometimes, certainly, but I always liked Hunter and we talked for, you know, he was probably upset for a couple minutes about it. And then sort of just talked to me and it was a, let's call it a, a teaching moment. He was, uh, I like Hunter. He, he, he's mostly a good guy, I think. And, um, and, and so I thought we were fine with that. I thought, I thought it had sort of smoothed over, but it was pretty exhilarating. I remember being on the bus after after the show on the way to whatever the next town we were doing. I was in California. We were in Ontario. I don't know what the loop was. Ontario, Anaheim, maybe. I don't know. But uh, I remember like writing in my journal, like, "Oh man, like I could get fired for this." Like how? And I was it was really exhilarating. It was really exciting to me to go. Oh man, I could I could then do sort of whatever I wanted to and I wouldn't be, you know, I, I think there's a part of me that felt trapped there. And so when I went into the office, it was like the next week on Thursday. And when they said, Hey, we want to talk to you. Uh, uh, Dave wants to talk to you up in HR. I was like, all right, this is it. Fantastic. And, and it was, and it was a, it was a huge relief. And this isn't to say like, Oh, I was just F WWE and screw my time there. It's like, no, no, no. I had a, I had a great time there. Um, I'm so grateful for my time there and it was time for me to go. Uh, and they did me the favor of, of firing me, uh, when I sort of didn't probably have the, the guts to to leave because it's, it's scary. It's scary to, um, leave the, the job that you've been working for your whole life. And, uh, so it was really a, a fortunate incident, a gift from, let's call it a gift from the universe that said, hey, look, it's not so scary. Get out there. And uh, it was great. So did you regret it at all? Did they want you to delete the picture? I mean, did they say anything about it? Or it's just that, hey, you know, you can't do this with, the, you know, uh, the enemy, so to speak, or, you know, you can't have this picture up there? Yeah, look, they told me not to delete it because it would bring attention to it if, it, if, I, if I didn't, if I, if I deleted it. Um, but... Yeah, they, you know, they said that the, the Young Bucks were there and the Bullet Club was there to sort of disparage the company. And by putting that picture up with them, I disparaged the company. Like, I, the only regret, I, I wish I would have just quit. You know, I wish mm-hmm. I would have just yep. uh, left on, on nice terms. Part of me wishes that. But also, uh, it was really fun after I got fired and then that news broke and there was like 15 minutes where I was like hot on the Indies again. And it was like, <laughs> such, it, was, it was like such a fun time in my career. So. Yeah. You were uh, booked everywhere. Yeah. Everybody wanted yeah, to see yeah. the guy that took the picture with the bullet club. Right. It was, it was, it was a really fun uh, couple of months. And so, you know, getting fired, writing an angle with the hottest act outside of WWE was, uh, you know, that was, it was, a, it was a pretty good way to get fired. Definitely ranks up there with uh, one of the better ones, and then obviously you know you end up in Impact, which which is great, writing and producing along with the team. But if I could, I just wanted to rewind back to some crazy stuff that I was a part of in Ring of Honor, just as a fan. And I remember you know you kind of 
coming on the scene there and not being as familiar with you, but it's like, well, who is this guy pretending he's Bruiser Brody? Like, who who is this guy? You know, this guy's, you know, so what's kind of the, the thought process of you and Ring of Honor? Because obviously you had many incarnations of many, many runs there. But when you first came in, you know, you're doing the Husk gimmick and you're doing the Bruiser Brody. What was the, the thought process then? You're just a big Brody fan? Uh, no, not really. It was, uh, you know, when I started, I was 15 years old, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, my first gimmick was jumping Jimmy Jacobs. I would come out in a pogo stick, <laughs> and uh, and the thought behind that was, you know, well, first of all, I, I look young because I was young, and uh, my thought process was, well, no matter what, at the end of the night, we'll remember the guy on the pogo stick, and so I did that for a little bit, and I did some other sort of characters, and I was I was. 18, 19, looking for something new to do. And I saw Tracy Brooks wearing furry boots. And I was like, yes, furry boots. Uh, you know, nobody's doing that other than Tracy Brooks here. But uh, my buddy and I were big John Nord fans, uh, the, the, the Viking, the Berserker. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and so I started wearing furry boots just for something different because I knew that, you know, you need to stick out. You need to do something different that's going to grab people's attention. So I started doing, you know, just having furry boots, and that was it. And then I would do the big boots, and I would go, huss, huss, just sort of pop me and my friend. And I saw that that was starting to connect with people. Like, people were starting to get a kick out of that. And so I said, all right, I'll, I'll go, full, I'll go full, t- full tilt. And I put huss on my butt, and then I had huss, you know, at the beginning of my entrance music. And then, you know, it just became, man, by, look, my first Ring of Honor match, by the time I was in the ring, half the crowd's chanting, huss, 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 they don't even know me yet. It was such a, uh, you know, it was, it was a gimmick that just, uh, it was great if I could go back, man, and realize the, the, um, the magic of hand, having a, a hand signal with a monosyllabic chant, you know what I mean? Yep. Mm-hmm. And it was more, like you said, more berserker than uh, than Bruiser Brody. Didn't, didn't realize that. It was just fan interactive. That was the mm-hmm. thing. It was yep. something super easy. Uh, you're just like, hey, the, the music's Huss. The, um, my type says Huss. Kevin Sullivan actually told me my name should be Huss. He was probably right. I probably should have just changed my name to Huss. And, uh yeah, and people want to be included in the show and to, to give them something that they can chant easily and have a hand signal to go along with it. Because it's great. Now, another thing that I think so many people remember you for is Lacey and the ballad of Lacey. Was this just something where you're like, okay, I'm just going to let my creative juices flow here? Because, you know, that's just some good, uh, funny stuff. But it actually, you, you know, you look at it like this is actually pretty damn creative. Yeah, so uh, I've been in Ring of Honor for uh, a, a couple of years, year and a half, so two and a half years at that point. I started in June of '03, so yeah, it's about two and a half years. And Gabe was, who's the booker, Gabe Spolsky, was never like a real big fan of mine. Uh, he kept me around, I think, because I, I, I would always get good reactions doing the, the Bruiser Brody thing. It was always good, but it just, I wasn't one of his guys. And so in early 2006 we were doing a, a a thing and he's like hey um you know me and bj were bj were, were, were managed by lacy and he said hey uh we need to get bj away from lacy they have no chemistry uh but you uh you know he said look everybody says you're emo and i don't know what emo means but i know i want to slap emo kids so is that something you think you could do and i didn't know what emo was either <laughs> uh, but i sort of 
I looked it up and I said, yeah, I think we can do something. Uh, maybe, maybe I do something where I'm in love with Lacey. And so I said, great. We started the storyline and uh, it, it wasn't, it was like in January and I had this call with him later and he just wasn't, he wasn't behind me. Like we had this, we had this long talk and he just wasn't behind me. And I could tell he wasn't behind me. I mean, he said as much. He said like, Hey, basically we gave you chances to get over. You didn't get over. Um, and I said, well, let me just do something. Let me do something. Let me, uh, you know, I'll, 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 I'll send you some sort of video. He's like, yeah, man, do, do whatever. He's like, we're going to, we were going to do me and BJ for the first time in, it was in March in Detroit. He's like, look, we'll see how that goes. And, you know, maybe we'll keep going. But it was pretty clear that he was, he was I was on my way out. And he said as much. Uh, so, yeah, the Battle of Lacey was the thing that saved my career. The Battle of Lacey is the reason that I'm talking to you right now. If it weren't for the Battle of Lacey, I would have been done with Ring of Honor in early 2006 and uh, probably went into indie wrestling obscurity after that. Wow, look at that. Did not know that. Interesting. Uh, KB Boy wasn't uh, wasn't a big fan at that point. But I do remember when you were with, I mean, that Battle of Lacey is unforgettable, but when you and BJ Whitmore, not only together as a team, were great, but when you guys feuded, I mean, you guys took some crazy bumps. I mean, he gave you a powerbomb. I thought he killed you. broke your neck. He gave you another powerbomb into the crowd. I thought he killed you. I mean, you guys were, uh, I mean, great chemistry together. Is that something you're like, all right, let's just steal the show? So the the first time the power bomb that it looked like it killed me because uh, mm-hmm. it almost did I guess uh, it was a slip you know we were both on the top rope we were going for a move in the ring and he slipped backwards and so that was unintentional but that you know sort of massive like crazy bump combined with the quality of the match otherwise combined with the 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 ballad of Lacey uh, really started to get some momentum going in. Uh, in our favor and in my favor. And so when we were in the powerbomb off the top rope into the crowd, that was in June of 06, and we, were, we had another match and we were going to go to a non-finish. Uh, and, well, that was, that was what we came up with. <laughs> uh, originally, we were going to both take like, table bumps to the out, outside the floor and unfortunately, the week before was uh, ECW One Night Stand Part Two or whatever it was, and they had Sabu versus Rey Mysterio, and their finish was like they both went to the outside, like table bump, non-finish, and we were in that same building uh, in the in, in the in a different ballroom, but the buildings are attached. That same building the next week. And it just felt like we couldn't do a table bump to the floor finish. And so we were trying to come up with a different finish. And we, me and BJ were standing on the top rope. And we were talking about doing, you remember uh, Mike Awesome and Masato Tanaka would do the, like the power oh, yeah. bomb backwards into the yep. ring? Yep. And so, so BJ had me up there. And, and we were talking about he, he gives me the, the power bomb backwards. And like we both fall. And my legs is on top of his. And his legs are on top of my shoulders. And it was like a double pin. So we're, we're, we're up there sort of feeling it out before the show. And he just goes, man, I could powerbomb you into like the third row from here. And I said, great, let's do that. And I just, I didn't think that um, anybody would allow us to do that because it was so ridiculous and let's call it high risk maybe. 
And uh, Gabe was like, yeah, let's do it. And so we figured out a way to uh, to do it, and it came off great. Yeah, un- totally unforgettable. I believe it was at the New Yorker uh, Hotel. I mean, just totally uh, yep. uh, unforgettable moment uh, for sure. But as we hit the wind down and head towards the finish, you know, I got to ask about the age of the fall because that's something, you know, you don't, you don't forget. And Tyler Black and basically kind of mentoring him and seeing where he is today in the WWE. Is that something that, that you know, a role that you took to quite easily? Because at the time it was like, wow, this is kind of different. This is kind of a little shocking and the blood and everything else and the Briscoes and everything else that was involved with it. Is that something that, you know, as your mentor, Tyler Black, uh, along, it's like, okay, let's make this something completely different and unique for Ring of Honor? Yeah, that was the goal. You know, really the Age of the Fall became a co-collaboration with, you know, me, Gabe, and and Tyler. Uh, Tyler came up with the name The Age of the Fall. And he came up with actually a, a, a bit of it. Just he was writing the, the blogs at the time. You know, we it was Gabe that came up with the idea of having The Age of the Fall be the first sort of viral marketing campaign in professional wrestling. The Nine Inch Nails had just done it, you know, where they had like, you know, things written in the bathrooms of the concerts they were into and the, you know, hidden disk drives, disk drives, like USB drives that people then take and you follow stuff online, all sorts of stuff. And so we did that in the summer of 2007 with something called Project 161. You know, we had guys at shows like handing out shirts to people. It says Project 161 on it, things like that. And so it was really a a co-collaboration, just trying to be, you know, sort of completely different uh, and uh, yeah, it was a, it was certainly the, the most featured I'd ever been in my career. And to this day, I would say that's, that remains true. Um, yeah, it was, it was a great time. What about current day? I mean, you haven't wrestled in, in a bit. I mean, it's been a while. I mean, what about your in-ring career? Are you, do you still, you know, you want to wrestle for impact? What's kind of the status of you in ring as far as wrestling? Uh, I just like to play. You know, uh, when I came back on the independence in 2017, I was really excited. And like I said, there's like a 15 minutes that I was kind of hot for, which is really, really fun. Uh, probably like my third or fourth week back, I tore my ACL in my right knee. You know, my left, my left ACL was already torn and I tore my right one. And it was like, after that, I was just trying to not drown, you know, uh, I, to, to, you know, keep up with, with some of these performers. And as I've gotten older and a little more, uh, you know, a few more knee problems, uh, I've gotten less athletic, which I wasn't the most athletic guy to begin with. And these other guys in the ring have just gotten, whew, man, there's so many talented guys on, uh, you know, just really, really amazing guys. So I, I have no aspirations to be like a high-level in-ring performer you know the idea of like wrestling for like nxt or something like that it's just like that that sounds like a nightmare to me i still like playing I still like getting in the ring and performing to the best of my abilities and uh you know I, before this the whole covid stuff was happening i was wrestling you know in, in uh, aaw in chicago for danny daniels and i still go up and i do tours for uh, cwe up in canada i'm supposed to do a tour up in uh up in Canada there in the end of October into November, I believe. So uh, I still like to get on the tights. I still love to perform, but the days of me trying to, you know, sort of perform at a high level or, or be successful, I should say, 
at at a high level. It's just like that, those are over. So where do you kind of see yourself? Let's just say, you know, a few years down the road, where do you see yourself? Writing for Impact, wrestling, maybe wrestling occasionally, um, you know, writing a book, or like kind of where do you see yourself in, in a few years? Obviously, you're still in the wrestling business, right? Uh, maybe, you know, my, my life's taken me uh, you know, d- different places. You know, I'm, I'm very passionate now about sort of, let's call it self-discovery, self-improvement, uh, those sort of things. That's really where a lot of my passion lies. Um, and so I would, you know, I've been putting these short little videos out on, uh, on, on Twitter and Instagram. And um, I, I would like to start to head towards, towards that sort of stuff in my life. And I don't know exactly how that manifests or what exactly that looks like. But I certainly, uh, look, I'll always, I'll always love wrestling and I'll probably uh, always do it on, on some level. But um, I would love to at least, you know, that's, that's why I started the podcast. And, I, and, I, and you know, I, I, I did it for like, what, seven months maybe, from May to December of last year. And I stopped doing it, sort of reevaluating and reconsidering the, the optimal way to express myself in, in this other sort of arena, in this sort of maybe self-help or self-discovery or, or something like that uh, arena. And that's, that's probably what I'll, you know, try to dip my toe into and, and, and see what that looks like and, you know, see if that can, uh, you know, financially support me or not. And, you know, yeah, I, I, I love it. I love, I love empowering people. I love, I love seeing, I'm sorry, I love seeing people empowered. I love seeing people, you know, have one obstacle in front of them or have something in front of them that they, it just seems insurmountable to, to mount. And I don't even mean external. I mean internal. I mean the things, the, the sort of the, the, our relationships with the world that, you know, tend to cause us suffering and the stories we tell ourselves that cause us limitations. And to see people start to overcome that and start to see what they really are and the power they have inside of them and what they're capable of, you know, that, that gets me excited. So I want to that I want to play that game, you know. Absolutely. Now, please give us all your your social media plugs. You know where they can find the videos, and maybe get, uh, revisit the podcast if they wanted to. Yeah, absolutely. The podcast is uh, Jimmy Jacobs doesn't know. You can get it on iTunes or where, wherever you get your podcast. And that's really that was my journey last year of sort of some of the some of the discovery uh, journey that I was on. And certainly I'm on that now. But man. It's like it's on a completely different level, but it's really interesting. I've, you know, Daniel Bryan on there. I have Seth Rollins and I have, you know, different non-wrestling people as well. And we talk about all sorts of fun existential stuff. Uh, my social media is, uh, you can on Twitter and Instagram is Jimmy Jacobs X. That's Jimmy Jacobs X. And I mostly don't talk about wrestling. I mostly, uh, you know, uh, talk, uh, you know, I've been putting these videos out, just trying to be of support to whoever I can be, uh, support you and it's nice i you know have some people reach out to me and say that my videos have resonated with them which is awesome you know that's that's what we're here to do man best i can tell best i can tell the the purpose uh, of, of of being on this on this planet in this you know incarnation in this existence is to um become the best person you can be to follow your passion in, in order to be of service of other people you know to get your 
get your stuff together, man. Get your life together so you can then be of support to others and their, them getting their lives together. And then as a collective, uh, we can live in a world that uh, we can only dream of right now. All right. Awesome stuff, uh, Jimmy. And it's not often, you know, you do wrestling interview, you get to learn some stuff. So that was great uh, as well. Definitely learned a lot today. So awesome stuff, Jimmy. Appreciate all the time uh, you gave me today. And good luck, Impact Wrestling, every Tuesdays on uh, Access TV and, of course, on Twitch. So, Jimmy, thank you so much. Hey, thank you, dude. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.